0: I'm Angelique Brochet, and this is Marvel's Voices. There are very few times that you get to really pinpoint times in your life where you've crossed paths with people without knowing it. So Jason Reynolds, who is an amazing author, a poet, and just, just a really cool, how do I put this, cultural philosopher, as to the importance of art and how it impacts not only young people, but young people of color, really has this magnificent perspective of how to make reading accessible. But I was actually first exposed to Jason's work when I did my voice test for Marvel and had an opportunity to interview Ashley Irving. And she worked on a book, Miles Morales Spider-Man, which was a book that Jason Reynolds did for Marvel. I think it is true of any person, any fan, and and particularly of any person that I have interviewed on Marvel's Voices, is that... There's some book, some story, some superhero, some some moment, some song, some ballad that impacted them in such a way that they could relate to it. That drove their passion for the thing that they did or shaped the way they tell a story. And I think it's, it's such a powerful gift to give someone. And so having such a beautiful narrative written by Jason Reynolds about an Afro-Latino young man from Brooklyn with such detail and authenticity, I really wanted to share that. So I actually ended up giving my copy of Miles Morales Spider-Man written by Jason to my nephew and I think Jason does such a beautiful job, not just in Miles Morales Spider Man, but also in his other works of personifying these these beautiful stories and making them relatable and accessible to the communities that it reflects, but also like to everyone else who wants to hear these stories. That's their, that's that's it. Like, and being from Louisiana, like it's the same way. Like, there's a very different way. So distinct. And it's so many people will correct things in writing not realizing that they're erasing right. the culture. Right. Um, that's actually one of the things that I loved when I first opened up and I actually I gave my copy to my my nephew because I was so in love with the Spider-Man book. Mm-hmm. It was the first time Miles spoke Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I literally I lost <laughs> I, lo- I you're just going to edit this I lost my okay. like I was just like Wait. And I was like, who is this dude? I want to read all of his writing. Yeah. It, it, because it wasn't even just that. It was how he interacted with this mom. It was the basketball court. It was him <laughs> being in love with Alicia and like trying to write this poetry. And then I found out about you and I was like, yo, he had that girl. Of course. That was that girl. <laughs> there was a girl. There's always
1: a girl. <laughs> <laughs> Especially at that age, there was always a girl. Yeah.
0: And you, on the opposite of you, I read a lot of books as a kid, mm-hmm. but I was too scared to write because I was always told my writing wasn't good. Right, and so I went into that's why I ended up in poetry. As I was getting kicked out of class, my writing wasn't good, so I ended up in the library and I found Shel Silverstein. Right, that's and then awesome. I, oh, and I just would just start copying him, and eventually I just started writing my, my own poems. Yeah, yeah. And when you think about the pathways that get us there. There was always that girl. There was always that boy. There yeah, was yeah. always that moment. Yeah,
1: a teacher, uh, uh, you know, a dude on the block. There's always somebody, something that trigger you, right? To bump you to the left or to the right and sort of put you where you didn't know you needed to be. Yeah. Um, and I, but that's sort of, for me, one of the many mysteries of life, one of the many beauties of it are, I mean... It's the same reason why I don't outline my stories. It's the same reason, right? It's sort of like...
0: Wait, wait, wait. Back up.
1: Yeah. You don't outline stories? Nah. Marvel, it's funny because Marvel made me outline Spider-Man and it was brutal. It was such a hassle. <laughs> <laughs> they, they insisted and I was like, I don't. this ain't my thing. Like, I don't do that because if it's boring for me, it'll be boring for you. If it's not an adventure for me, then it won't be an adventure for the reader, right? I want to be just as sort of traveled and journeyed right when we get to the end i want to be like woof that was interesting right all the twists and turns and the bumps in the road just like the reader will have to experience now is it is it efficient no right it's not the most efficient way to do this but um but i believe that that is the it's it's it parallels what our real lives are like no one outlines their lives they try no one sticks to the outline. Life has a way of sort of shaking things up. I always tell people in, another, in a different book, I, there's a character in this other book who says, you know, we'd like to believe, like, especially since we're in New York City, you know, New Yorkers swear that, especially old black men, black and brown men in New York, they swear that chess is the game of life. Right, you go to every park. You in Union Square. You at Fulton Park. You everywhere you go. Right, it's gonna be some old black man who's trying to explain to you that chess. If you understand chess, then you understand life. Right. The truth of the matter is, if only life were like chess, but instead life is more like I declare war. Oh, right. I flip a card. You flip a card. Sometimes I win. Sometimes you win. Sometimes I lose. Sometimes you lose. And as long as I got cards to flip, then I'm all right. Right. right? That's life. Right, like that's, that's yeah. more like life than, than I'm planning out three steps ahead. All right, I wish that that were more like life, then we'd all be great at it. Oh, we'd, <laughs> we'd have the strategy
0: down and we'd know exactly who we'd partner with because the strategies were simple and we Exactly. You make a really good point. And I think this, this is this idea of life would be boring, our stories would be boring.
1: What would it be like if you plan your. I mean, I tell people all the time, like my little brother is 17. He's graduating on Tuesday, and from high school. And Congratulations! I know I'm so proud of him. All of us, the siblings, were all like, "Oh, the little Where do you? One. F- are you middle child? I'm number three or four?
0: So not necessarily and, and oldest, middle. And the oldest. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, 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 sweetie pie. Yeah,
1: but it's good. It's good. But I was telling him, I was like, you know, we, we talk about planning because he's like planning, planning. I'm like, you know, it's crazy, man. Everybody plans something until your mama die. There it is, right? Like, and I think that's what. It, but I mean, even as far as Miles, right? And, and uh, to get back to Miles speaking Spanish, Miles sort of being ch- trying to represent and to show him as authentically as possible, um, even
0: from describing the sneakers or his job things. in the in the store and yeah. just the way he's being treated by the other kids, like that is that is such a a depth to the character. And I think, and, and and all credit to Brian Michael Bendis, all credit now. The Saladin Ahmed who is writing him is doing a fantastic job. It was the first time for me, and this is what prose is supposed to do, where you really get introduced to how attached the character could be to Brooklyn and how attached the character could be to his mother and why he literally lost it when his mom died on Earth 1610 and all of the big Confusion that is the <laughs> Ultimate Universe versus Six One Six, and I particularly just love the way you created his capacity to care mm. and to love, while understanding the fact that he is still a high schooler.
1: Yes, and, and and he has, look, there were, there were there were questions that I had, right? It's interesting. I, the, the whole process of writing that book was, it was wild. It was wild for a lot of reasons because I had questions. I had so many questions. And, and and you're right, right? Shouts to Brian Michael Bendis. I mean, look, we don't get to have Miles Morales if it's not for Brian Michael Bendis. And I want to make sure because I think he deserves that credit. He deserves that tip of the hat. Yeah. There were questions that I had, though, um, because as a novelist, you don't get to leave certain gaps, right? You you don't – we don't have the, the breadth of – like, we don't have the scope of 100 issues. We don't have, right, right I don't have that long to clean up. or It's to, glaring. Or to, it's
0: glaring. It's You get a one shot, and if you're missing that thing. Anything. It, distract, it distracts from the entire story. One
1: small detail literally derails and, and disqualifies the integrity of your story when you're writing novels. One small, fa- one mistake, right? It's the same way we feel when we see a misspelled word in the novel. You're like, oof. And it's just a misspelled word. It's and we're just like, a misspelled word. And we're like, you're supposed to be a professional.
0: Because here's the thing. If you don't get it in one issue, you'll get it in the next one. Yeah. Um, or you'll get it 20 issues down. Or they'll, or they'll like, Claremont, who wrote the X-Men for an umpteen amount of years, you know, if he left a string in 80, he could pick the string back up in 84. Yep. You, you can't do can't that. Do you can't Especially do it. Especially when you're talking to folks, and some of them, who don't read comic books and may never have met Miles Morales before they saw that beautiful cover. Mm.
1: Um Shows to Gideon Nelson. Yo. Shh. That cover's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I look, I look. I wanted to know. There, I had. When we, when we say that we're going to have a, a black and brown Spider-Man. What does it mean? Right. These are the questions that I'm asking, right? Like, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that we get to paint Peter's face brown. Right? And and, and, and this is just me being completely honest. I, I because I only this all I got. I don't really know how to do it no other way. But it does, it means more than that. We have to we have to deal with the fact that the, the coating of his skin shifts the entire environment. Right? So so there are new questions that we have to ask. Number one, if you are in a black well, his mother is Puerto Rican, his father is black, if you are in a black and brown household in Brooklyn, right, or in any urban space in America, and you tell your mother or your father that you're going to save the world, there's a good chance that your mother and father at that age is going to say, before they say, yes, son, you'll change the world someday, if you my mom, you're going to say, listen, that's all well and dandy. But first you you need to save... These greats, right? You need to save save yes. these greats, save this household, save your block, save your neighborhood, save your people. Then we can worry about the world. Like that is that that is the way that conversation goes. Number two, I wanted to know what does it feel like to be um, to be a superhero in a neighborhood where where the superheroes you're used to don't wear capes. You know, your mom and your and your old, your OGs in the block, and the survivor's guilt. That comes with that. If you I come from my neighborhood, right, where Kevin Durant is the one who sort of makes it out, how does Kevin Durant feel on Thanksgiving Day when he come back to Walker Mill? He come back to his to his apartment, to where well, he don't live there no more. But when he come back to that neighborhood and everybody else is still there, and you got to deal with—I mean, myself on Thanksgiving when I'm at my family's houses or we, you know, are hanging out and having meals, I got to sit at the table as one of them and different. Right. Being looked at as different, even though I'm still one of them, because my situation isn't the same. Right. So we have to deal with the survivor's remorse that so many brown black people feel when they achieve any level of superpower. Right. And then and then lastly, I wanted to talk about like. 15, 16 with superpowers, Like, look, I love Peter Parker, shout out to Peter Parker. No one can ever take anything from him. You know, arguably it was the first time we saw a superhero that was a normal teenager. But the part of him that I found to be a little abnormal um, is the advice that Uncle Ben gives him, right? That he takes to heart, right? This idea that, like, with great power comes great responsibility. A beautiful sentiment that no teenager would ever take, ever. If you were to tell me at 15 that you were going to give me the ability to fly or jump to the tops of buildings, superhuman strength, the ability to camouflage myself, the ability to have hypersensitivities and hypersensitivity to to whatever's coming uh, that is negatively going to affect me, and you say, "Now here's what I'm giving you." My response is not going to be, "Thank you." I'm going to be so much more responsible with it. Instead, it's going to be like, "Yo, I'm about to hustle everybody at the basketball court. I'm about to figure out how to start."
0: Like, A great scene, by the way. Yeah, I'm,
1: I'm, but, that, <laughs> but that's but that's what <laughs> that's I would do. That's real. So these are the things that I that I that I were sort of approaching the story. The story with, and then, and then after all of those things, there were other sort of holes that that I felt needed to be closed because I didn't have the scope, right, mm. the, of, of the of the several different issues to fix certain things in the story. Number one, I, I had to figure out what we were going to do with the fact that his father's name is Jefferson Davis, and that's just something that we—it's it's a thing that we have to address, right? Like we we had to address that. Like that isn't something that I can let slide. It's a thing, right? I mean, also you as a
0: writer with your integrity on the fact that you come from an authentic place, but also the fact that you were born and raised in D.C. Black people and and Maryland, yeah. And Maryland is the South.
1: Yes, D.C. cuts it all, cuts it right through it, and Maryland is the South. You gotta deal with it. I can't. I can't. There's no way that I could write that story without being like, huh? What are we going to do with Jefferson? It almost sort of forced me to talk about you know, what that story is about, right, and all the things about the 13th Amendment and so forth. I had no choice because I had to figure out how to address the fact that his father, you know, that his father's name was Jefferson Davis. I had to address the fact that his mother, who was Puerto Rican and therefore most likely Catholic, does not go by Rio Davis. Because if she went by Rio Davis, then Miles would have his father's last name and his name would be Miles Davis. And I had to figure out how to address that. right. Why These- have
0: I never thought about that?
1: I had to see wow. like and I couldn't let that slide. I had to address it. Right. I can't like because because my readers are gonna say are gonna poke because it's a novel. So yeah. I had to so I had to address that as well. I had to address his Korean homeboy and I had to make sure that I, I had to go through all of the necessary due diligence to make sure that his name was Korean. Because in my world, if his name turns out to not be a Korean name, I get slaughtered. Yeah. It's not, by the way. I get, I, get, I get slaughtered, right? And these are the things that, like, and this is no slight. This isn't me sort of. I, I, it's all love. I'm just saying, like, this is what happens when you have, like, a novel. You have to make sure that you tie up everything because there may not be a second one to close those holes. Yeah. So it was just, it was interesting. For me to give my
0: nephew the book, Yeah. I was just like, look, read this. I know it's going to take you a minute. I know you you are 10. This is going to take you a good second. But... I want you to have this because I want you to be able to look at a book and know that the world is for you. You could have done anything. Like, why why an English major? Like, like literally, you could have stayed a lyricist. You could have stayed doing poetry. Like, at that point in time, poetry was getting real big. Wasn't yeah. getting paid very well for it. But it was getting uh, real big. It was.
1: I didn't know what else to do, you know. Like there's no. What I, I tried to be. I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a teacher. I mean, you have to remember, like we.
0: Because your mom's a teacher, second my mom, second my mom, career, second teacher. career,
1: special ed. I think you know what it is. I think, but she, I knew she had an education degree that she got when she was in her. I guess 30 because she took her 12 years. But she had a degree in education but never worked in it because she worked in insurance to raise a family, take care of us. But I think um, you can't be what you can't see, right? Mm. And so when you think about what you see the most, right? And so so I literally was, try- was trying to figure out what I could be based on the things that I could see, right? And what I could see were teachers. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew my father did something in psychology and he wasn't he wasn't around but I knew he did something with psychology so I was like oh maybe I'll be a psychologist that's a thing it exists right it's
0: it's tangible
1: it's tangible right so like whatever I could sort of pinpoint I'm being an athlete Right? so I wanted to be an athlete, of course, because that's what we saw. was so like I'm gonna be a musician, you know. What I mean, what figure she, that especially out.
0: Especially in DC, that's what you saw. Of course,
1: be a musician. You know, I knew I wasn't gonna go to no street stuff. I ain't had a stomach for it. My older brother did all of that, right? So I was like, yeah. ah, I'm cool on that. Yeah. So that's out, right? Yeah. Um, so the, I, so I literally went to school. It was like, all right, well, we can do, we can do education. And I was like, I don't want to do this. And I was like, all right, we could do communication. Didn't understand it because I, I, I couldn't under, I couldn't grasp, I couldn't bite down what this major was about. It felt so abstract. And it's, so and it's abstract. very hard
0: because it's about everything.
1: Exactly. It's it about
0: like communications falls. Like when someone says they're a communications director, you're like, what kind of communications? Exactly. What is What does it you mean? you
1: do? I remember telling my mother, like, man, I'm changing my major. And she was like, wow. I was like, because I know how to communicate already. Don't make no sense to me. I'm out of here. <laughs> so I'm, like just totally, like, I'm, I'm done with that. Then it was like, then <laughs> like, it was like journalism. And it was like, there's no way I'm getting to the J school. I'm out of here. Not doing this. Man. Yeah, so just yeah. be- architecture, right? Because I had known a girl in middle school whose father was an architect. She I was like, oh. I was like, architecture. And then I was like, oh, no, this first class is mathematics. Can't do this. All right? It literally was just kind of like, I don't know what to do. I, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have a degree in print journalism. Oh, like, really? I have no that – I'm good <laughs> on math. I got to no my basics.
1: Yo, let me tell you something. My, my freshman year, I failed English and math. What do I do? <laughs> what, like, what,
0: <laughs> what, what do you do? What like, What happens? <laughs> Well, that's that's BS, and that's BA. Yeah, um, right.
1: yeah.
0: well, you know what? I actually couldn't... True story. I really couldn't do... Because I went to an HBCU is a reason why I couldn't really do math and then just excelled at it, because I found the right teacher to teach me how to make the numbers make sense. Mm-hmm. Math is really about the teacher, man. The end of the day, it is really about... Just like you were, and I love this quote, um, pit bulls of pages. Mm-hmm. It's like if someone is scared of a thing, if I am scared of math, then don't throw a <laughs> complex equation at me because I'm literally going to be stuck just by the nature of what fear is. Yeah. And I love the fact that even though you you did not excel at math or writing, no. you were able to go, there's still got to be a way. Yeah.
1: Look, we, we underestimate, we underestimate what hip hop did for us uh intrinsically. And this is the part of it that like we don't talk about enough. As much as look, that music is complicated.
0: It still it tells a genuine story. It does. That's that person's story as
1: complicated as, complicated as it, is. it is. Yeah, it tells it, it it's no different than Reading, you know, Donald Goins. You know what I mean? Like it's complicated. Or
0: listening to uh Johnny Cash
1: or the Johnny Cash is literally Stones, talking about or,
0: killing a man, yeah, and going to Folsom Prison,
1: yeah. Right? It's no. It's no. Listen, it, it, all, the music is all very complicated, right? Problematic yeah. at times, and and I would never be the person to sort of cape for the parts of it that are that are harmful, um yeah. just because I'm too old for that. And we just got to do better. It is what it is, right? Yeah. That being said, the part of that music that we don't talk about often enough is the sense it made us feel like we had every right to be irreverent. And mm-hmm. so and so when you're a kid like me who fails math and fails English, but you're still kind of like, eh, I do what I want. Eh, I'm going to be who I want to be. Eh, I'm going to make what I want to make. Because the rappers did Right, it's so, so right because the rappers were they they were pillars of of irreverence. They were they were table turners, right, and that yeah. was the thing that I cling to and cleave to more than just the brilliance of lyricism. It was also like yo, Method Man got half his head road and somehow just half, just half, and he has and he has on uh, one eye. That a contact, that's, my brother has one eye, right? So, to see Method Man with like the, that, he's with that, that cloudy contact. Yeah. My brother's eye looks like that in real life after stabbing and some other nonsense. And it's like, yo, this dude looked like my brother, and everybody is saying that he a genius.
0: Well, and that's the crazy thing, right? Because I grew up with this idea of, it is no secret, I idolized like a Cree Summer. Mm-hmm. Because I saw same thing this wacky, smart, passionate, loud, energetic that everybody thought was too much that was able to be successful. And if you, cannot, if you cannot see it, and I think that is what is so powerful about having a black man from the South writing YA. Mm-hmm. Because when you show up or ta shows up or Jameel Smith who writes for the Rolling Stone shows up. Shout so out to Jameel. When you when you see that those are the people, or a Dodi Stewart, or a Roxanne Gay, or a Yana Harvey, are writing the stories, there is a significant difference, and I think we do underestimate the lyricism of how we grew up, because they just like they looked at crazy. They looked at James Brown crazy. Mm-hmm. They looked at Prince crazy. They're like, what do you mean you're going to play every instrument? Everything. On your first album. Yeah. Can you just, can you just give us your album? Like, you're six months Zora, over. They
1: looked at Zora crazy. It's like, this is the way I'm going to write it.
0: And, you know, I got lucky enough that I read Octavia and Zora in high school. Mm. Don't know how. Definitely went to an all-girls Catholic school in the South. Very unaware. <laughs> Don't know how they got on the list because— Probability says they wouldn't right. be on the list. Um,
1: shouts to that teacher.
0: Sh- shouts to that teacher. Mm-hmm. Louisiana's very different. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, for you and just kind of in your work, in your process, and how you've gotten here, where does this all go? Do you just keep writing non-boring books for, like, like which is fine, which I think yeah. is great. Please keep writing non-boring books. I yeah. think it's phenomenal. I don't
1: know. I mean, right. at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I think the one thing I, I always try to tell people, or oh, that I even think about often is that it ain't got nothing to do with the books. I love books. I love to write books. I love to, but really I'm just a storyteller. I put it where I put it wherever I can put it. You know what I mean? You know like they say put some paint where it ain't, wherever it ain't. I'm put it there. It wasn't in books, so I wrote the books, you know? Like and I and I will continue to do so. But I want to be clear, like this isn't some um this ain't no cash grab. It ain't no. It's nothing like that it's for just me. You. I love and I love kids. So like I, I truly, truly, truly listen. At this point in my career, I tell everybody I don't have to write books anymore. Right? Like the truth of the matter is, is that I use these books now as just access cards in order to get into spaces where there are thousands and thousands of kids. So I can look them in the face and say I love you, in the face. Look them in the face. Right? And I can show up to their schools or to their communities, to the prisons, wherever they are, and I can come in all the way me. Right. Yeah. Tattoos and hair and sneakers and all the T-shirt and all the things and walking in and say, this is it's me and, and I'm you. Right. And we good no matter what. Right. I just use the books as leverage to do that at this point.
0: Well, and I think there's a, a significant thing about being a person of color that shows up in a space where you generally are not. Yeah. And showing this could also be you.
1: It's you. I'm not exceptional, right? And this is what I tell them all the time. You know, I don't believe in exceptionalism. I'm not. Because I'm not, to be exceptional means that that then I separate myself from you. Nah, this us, right? I literally am writing your story, which means that if your story doesn't exist, then I have no value. So my job is to basically, like, my value is literally rooted in your value. And, and like, in, in a concrete way, yeah. the value of my life is rooted in the value of yours. But I gotta look you in the face and let you know that the books ain't enough. And so what happens is we write we write these books and the books get praised. And the person who writes this book gets to go off to the hills, gets to buy a big house and cool out and pretend as though he or she has done enough. It's not enough. This baby's dying. Right? It's not enough. Yes, it's a wonderful thing that Miles exists. It's a wonderful thing that all these books exist in the world. But imagine what changes if Judy Bloom shows up to your school. You see what I'm saying? Like it changes. And imagine because when, when I show up, we talk about all kind of stuff, right? They like, yo, what kind of car you drive, yo? Yo, you rich? What kind of sneakers? Where you get them sneakers from? Imagine if you had an opportunity to ask Judy Bloom what kind of car she drives. We see that as something that is gratuitous and silly, but the truth is, it's game changing to have a human moment with a hero.
0: Yeah, and well, and I think there's this, there's this, and I don't even want to call it complex, but there's this beautiful reality that literature can root us into the value of who we are in such a way where it changes how we walk yeah. in the world. Yeah. Um, and, that, and I think there's a there's a commonality very strongly between comic books and, and what you do in every single book that you write. Mm. Because when you look at Stanley and Jack Kirby, they didn't see superheroes that were rooted in New York that reflected their you know their values and who they were so they created them. Mm-hmm. When you look at, you know, milestone media and the creation of static and a Dakota verse, when you when you look at so many amazing characters, like Nedia Corfell writing Shori, um, like Vita Ayala who's writing LiveWire, there's such a power in bridging and opening up the possibilities of pathways. Mm-hmm. And I I think it's incredible because you never really know the ripple effects. You never know that kid who is in Idaho, who ran across your book in a library, who is going through a moment, Mm -hmm. who becomes the next state senator. That's it. Because that's, I mean, that's how we are with Langston. That's how we are with Baldwin. It's how we are. With um, all of them. Yeah.
1: I mean, at the end of the day, story is the, the most human thing we have. Right, this is this is this is our sweet spot. Like right? the story, I, I tell my little brother and all the kids out there when I'm when I'm with the young folks. I tell them, all of your shoes in your closet, right? all the fancy things that you want, nothing will ever be more expensive than your story. Nothing will ever be more valuable than your story. I think uh, you know Alice Walker. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alice Walker has a she wrote the um, the forward for Zora Hurston's last book for Barry hmm and the last page of this forward. She's talking about the black experience in America historically, yeah. and she says, "Our experience here has been you know a complicated one right but she says um but but we go on um carrying our wounds and our medicines as we go, and there's this idea that we are carrying our wounds and our medicines right i have I have my poison and my antidote I have both of those things, right all of us have both of those things, but it's a- it's it's incumbent upon us." To share those things, to expose those wounds, and to share the antidote, knowing that we are, we can be self healing. It's like the it's like the uh, it's a famous um <laughs> famous folktale, black African American folktale where I can't I can't really say what it's called because we can because it's PG. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there's a but it's basically this part where you know the idea is that that God like messed up when he was making, when he or she was making when it was making black people. Mm. Right? And that's the folktale about it. it's like God messed up when God made black people, and uh, it sounds
0: like the uh, Haitian folktale uh, about uh, baking the cake.
1: It's so interesting. I don't know. But this one, it basically <laughs> it basically says it's basically um, the black people who are made says that's because black people made themselves, right? And it's this whole sort of idea that like that like yo we we have continued right, and we continue. when you look at Nettie and Roxanne, you look at. You know, Saeed and Denez Smith, and you look like mm-hmm. these are these are black people who are making themselves. Right? I choose, yeah. I get to choose who I am in the world, and that that does not detract from from the history of who we've been. I get to continue to push the line, right, with on the continuum in the tradition and shift and change and manipulate that tradition into other traditions and push the line, right. Yeah. And that's where we are. Yeah. It's wonderful.
0: Well, and I always – it's like a lot of people I, – I, I compare it to – we used to call it code switching. Now it's really code breaking yeah. because mm-hmm. these paths don't – they don't exist. They don't exist. And I think it's – that's what I love because so many – so many artists have been stifled by this idea of fitting in within a standard structure, which in and of itself was revolutionary at some point in time. Yes. And then what does it look like to continue writing in such a style where no one really even is impacted by the writing in the way they should be because they can't access it? Mm. And I and and again, I, I I go back to comic books and I go back to how many writers I've talked to who when they couldn't access literature because it was in the Rye, or Moby Dick, or Mice and Men, Oof. or you know, and some people. Hey, man, I loved Shakespeare, but Me too. I, I, I think Shakespeare is great. Like I, because I can access it right. because he was revolutionary. Right. He was at his time, and but they go to comic books, they go to poetry, they go to these edible pieces of work, and then there's this impact, and the light goes on.
1: It's amazing.
0: So I got to ask a couple questions.
1: Okay, yeah. Go-Go. Go-Go. Greatest fan, music of fan. all time. Oh, my God. The greatest music of all time. Favorite band? Uh, I grew up on back. I was a Backyard Band fan. Yeah? Yeah, Junkyard, 94 Junkyard, 95 Groovers, 96 through 99 Backyard. You know what I mean? Before that, Essence. My older brother was an Essence oh, fan. Essence. My, my, my mother was a, a Chuck Brown fan. You know, here's the thing about Go-Go, though. I love Chuck. Oh, yeah, saw I
0: Chuck. I saw Chuck for the, the first time right before he passed.
1: Yeah. yeah. We used to see Chuck riding down the street. And I uh, he's had a window down. You see Chuck Carr ride by. You know, like I shout out to Chuck Brown. Shout out to look. Uh, you know, here's the thing: Go Go music, as far as I'm concerned, um, is the blackest of all musics. And here's why mm. I say it. it: It has every single element from all the diasporic musics. Damn. It's the only music that actually possesses the elements of almost every diasporic music. I mean, we are talking about? I mean, it's got it's got all the drums of South America. Right, and so it has all these elements of Afro-Cuban music, and all this music it has it has conga drums, bongo drums, which we of course put together and play four of them. Right, two bongos and two bongos, two just congas. Just a no big, right? Look, and, no big deal. And, and, and the wild part is that we have two two bongos, two conga drums, and so we just call them congos. We just literally contract the word and call them congos. Four of them we have got guitar, so you got all the blues because Chuck was a blues man. Yep. So you got the guitar, you got the bass, you got keyboarders, and they always church keyboarders playing in there. So you got all the black church, you have got the blues, you got jazz, you have got rap music because they always rapping. Because that's you, basically what call they and do. response. You got yep. call and response. You've got funk music because Chuck was a funk man. You've got all the music coming out of South America. You've got all the Brazilian styles, and, and so you've got salsa music. You've got bachata. You've got all this music sort of mashed up into one. It literally is the most diasporic music of all music
0: (laughs) look I I remember the first time my mom worked for a college and they used to give samples out and I remember having my little cassette player I I had to still be in junior high Mm. and I got a junkyard band Mm. tape and I literally couldn't stop I had no clue what I was listening to but couldn't stop listening to it. Amazing! That, that it is, it is DC as you put it, cultural coding. It, it is, is, it is a generational cultural coding of music and of it, and that fuses together in such a culturally rich city.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even though it, it's had it's, its transition, of course,
1: of course. And the other thing about go-go though, because I used to give a lecture on go-go music and its relationship to literature. Stop. Um, because there's yeah, because there's so many parallels. The, the most important parallel, specifically as you're writing for, as we write for young people, the most important parallel being when back in the day when we would go to see our bands play, you would always make a sign or you make a T-shirt. Right? There would be, would be like, oh, Willow Road Crew or you know, South Side. Back then it was like the South Side Honey's and you know, Montana Avenue Uptown One Four. You had your crew, right? Dad. and And you would show up with your sign or your T-shirt. And there's always a part in the go go where they put it in the pocket, which basically means everybody stops playing with the drummer and the congo player, right? And it's yeah. a little bit base. It's basically like a solo time almost. And the and the person on the microphone then starts to do a call and response to see who's in the house, right? Who's in the go go? And that's when you hold up your sign, right? Because you might be in the back. You might be to the, It's a lot of people in there, and he'll look in the crowd. And he'll say, and your, my son would say, you know, maybe it'll say Lil' J from Wheel of Road or whatever. And he would say, I see you, Lil' J, Wheel of Road crew in the house, y'all, right? And you would be like, oh. And then he'd be over here and he'd say, Montana Avenue, 1-4 Uptown in the house, y'all. We see you. Good to see y'all, right? And you would have your moment. And then, the, and then the next day or two days later, you go to the store and you buy your tape. You go and you look. Oh, and you on the tape. And you're on, and you're on the tape. And so it's the first time. And you knew the whole city was hearing your name. The whole city knew you existed, right? It's the same thing that I'm trying to do with these books, right? The reason that I put the details of the sneakers in a book like Miles Morales, the details of the food he's eating, the chicharron, and like what he's eating in his house, the way his mom is talking to him, the way his friends are talking to him, the reason that it's so detailed is so that some kid is like, yo, he put me in the book put me in the book I feel seen I feel recognized and that's how we felt listening to our names being called out by backyard band or junkyard band it's exactly the same thing representation and acknowledgement and witnessing my life and letting the whole world know well, and the whole city know that somewhere there was a kid named Jason living on Wheel the Road
0: amazing. Alright quick fire round yep. Favorite superhero
1: Miles Morales
0: if you could have any superpower what would it be?
1: probably like superhuman strength. I just got, I want to be lifting up stuff. I don't know.
0: What is your superpower?
1: <laughs> uh, compassion.
0: What's on your playlist right now?
1: Uh, Jim Jones. Oh. Today, it just came out today. So I'm listening to Jim Jones all morning, see what that's about.
0: Nice.
1: And, and Skepta. Nice. Yeah, trying to see what's happening with this British, this this British hip hop.
0: I really, really, really enjoy British yeah, hip hop. Like yeah, Grime getting, is Grime yeah, is solid. I'm a big fan of Nadia Rose.
1: I don't know. I check. I check. Nadia, Nadia Rose. Rose is
0: pretty. She's. I think she's Stormzy's co- like cousin mm. or god sister or something. Word. like that. So they keep it in the fam. Um, what does storytelling mean to you?
1: Um, I, I guess since we're in a lightning round, I, I guess it just means um, connectivity.
0: This is amazing.
1: I'm glad. I had a good time. This is good. Yeah, man. Yeah.
0: We're done. We're done. I didn't see any of your prompts. I was in the middle of talking.
1: I know, wow. We try to keep more. We, we go more than yeah, I
0: Yo, Jason, thank you so much for coming in. I know you have a really busy schedule. For those who want to find out more about Jason and his work, you can look him up online, on Twitter. He just did a really cool keynote at um, a conference, the American Library Association along with a a couple of cool marvel artists who are also there mariko tamaki was there so you should definitely go check out all of his work and really 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 follow him i'm excited to see all of his future projects but also make sure you're tuning in because you know what's coming up setio comic-con and you know who's going to be there i am along with all the rest of the hosts from marvel on the amazing marvel live live stream so it's gonna be four days of all you can get marvel and i know you're ready for it i'm ready for it are you ready for it you're ready for it i'm pointing at my audio producer she's giving me a look she's ready for it yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be four days right it's uh thursday friday saturday sunday i'm i'm ready they should just put me on the plane now All right, I'm going to go. Make sure you're uh, checking out the next episode of Marvel's Voices. We got a lot of cool stuff in store and see you next time.